You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Well, good morning. I am glad to be here. I want to share something with you as we get started that a preacher up in Iowa did at the camp that I attended while we lived up there. We lived up there for 12 years. And Rose knows Rose is here this morning with me. Uh, and she knows this. We did it every night. The very last thing after the campfire and the singing and the Devo were done is they chanted or they had this response that the camp director, his name was Paul Prescott. Actually, his father was an elder here. I was just a few miles down the road from Paul whenever I preached in Iowa, and he was a preacher, and went to camp together. Anyway, he loved this saying, and I want to do it with you now, and I'm going to repeat after me. Can you all feeling up for this this morning? We're going to do it more than once, so this is kind of the intro repeat after me. We've got another repeat after me later, but this is the first repeat after me, and it's kind of a cool saying, and... uh, it's one, the kids get really loud at camp. You don't have to shout it really loud, but I think it reinforces a positive message of who we are. So, just repeat after me. Really simple. And just listen to Rose if you need cues, because she knows how to do this. I am God's child. I am somebody. Because God don't make no junk. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you. All right. That's how we ended every night at that camp in Iowa, and it was a great way to end the day, just to reinforce this idea of who we are, that we're not junk. Nobody on this planet is junk. And that's, you know, part of the whole tension, like Craig alluded to in the Lord's Supper talks, that all this chaos going on, the idea is we should turn to Christ. And let Christ show us who we are. And, and that's really where we're going to go this morning with who are we? Who are we as, a, as Christians? Who are, who are we as the Church of Christ? And I will say, because we are the Church of Christ, I love our name. I've always loved our name. Sometimes I think we don't live up to our name the way that we should. We focus on other things, and really what should get our focus is Christ. So if I ask the question, who are we, to reinforce the, you know, the, positive, the, the things that we need to remember about us, well, as Christians, we better know who Jesus is. The, the very question of who are we is answered by the question of who is Jesus. And when it comes to who is Jesus, well, that gets into the confession. Um... I do confession a little bit differently. Now, people see that word or hear that word confession, and sometimes they might think of maybe the Catholic reference, going to confession. That's not what I'm talking about. Even in the book of James, confess your sins one to another. That's what the Catholic idea of confession actually comes out of that passage. But even that's not what I'm talking about, because when I talk about this kind of confession, as we usually reference in our hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and we'll talk about that five-step thing in a future day. I got, you know, lots to talk about that as well, but, you know, we emphasize baptism a lot, as we should, 
And I think sometimes we forget, well, you know, the hear, believe, repent, and confess. And that confess especially, maybe we need to emphasize a little bit more than we do or we've gotten used to. Because usually when I say confession, people hear, oh, confess my sins. Actually, no. That's not what that confession means. That confession is speaking with your mouth of who you believe Jesus is. When Jesus asked his apostles, who do people say that I am? Well, some people say that you are a prophet. Some people say that you are um, John the Baptist come back. Some people say... So they threw out... Well, some people say this, some people say this, some people say this. And he asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter, good old Peter, the, one, uh, the few times he didn't stick his foot in his mouth, he actually had a really good answer. He said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And that passage is referred to as the great confession. It's the confession of who is Jesus. And so, um, when I baptize someone, I don't ask the question, this is just my personal approach, I don't ask the question, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That's the question that was asked to me when I was baptized. It's been a while now. I was at 12 years old at camp, Camp Lujo Kismuth outside of, Lujo, outside of Lawton, Oklahoma. And I, asked, or I was asked, do you believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God? And I said, yes. That was my confession. And then I was baptized in a horse trough. That was the baptistry there. Whenever somebody wants to get baptized, then my question is, who do you believe Jesus is? Because I think it's important to have the words on our own lips. I think it's important to share in who we believe Jesus is. And so when I ask the question, who do you believe Jesus is? It's a kind of a, more of an open-ended question. Kind of like the question Jesus asked Peter. Who do you say I am? And a good answer, a frequent answer, and a correct answer is Jesus is the Son of God. Or Jesus is the Messiah. Or sometimes I'll hear things like, Jesus is my Savior, the one who rescues me. And there are a lot, you can, there's not just one pat answer. Jesus is, of course, all those things. It just happens to be maybe what you're emphasizing. But I want to look this morning at the passage of Romans chapter 10. This is verse 9, specifically. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This isn't a verse we usually focus on much. As churches of Christ, we tend to again lean into the baptism thing, as we should, like Acts 2.38. But here's the verse about confession. That tells me confession is just as important and just as much a central part of becoming a Christian speaking it with our mouth, saying it, confessing what we believe in our hearts and have that being wrapped up into the moment of baptism as well. All of it goes together. That's the thing is, well, we have the hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. I kind of say it's all one big ball of wax rather than five individual steps. I think it's all tied together. And the confession is essential, just like baptism is essential for us to speak the words. And you know, I said yes whenever I got baptized. That's all I said. Maybe that you have a similar 
I'm kind of looking back. I wish, well, I wish I could have said it more. But here's the thing. We don't just do it once. We get baptized once. That's all we need. It begins our Christian walk. We don't need to keep doing it every time we sin or anything. So, but we need to repent quite a bit. That can be a daily thing. It often is for me. But also confession. I certainly hope that, the only, that, that when we said yes to the preacher's question, that day we might have been baptized, I certainly hope it's not the only day you've said who you believe Jesus is. I hope we confess it often. I believe that we should confess it often. And when it comes to that confession, the simplest answer, and one that the early church used a lot, those three words, Jesus is Lord. I like that confession. I like our song, Jesus is Lord. We're going to be singing it quite a bit this month. Because this one springs into what I'm going to be talking about in the next several weeks, and that is Jesus is King. Jesus is the Supreme Lord. He is the one above all others. And we confess that. Jesus is Lord. Amen, that's right. We say it too. And actually, here's where we're going. I'm going to say Jesus is, and as a congregation, I want you to respond with Lord. Are you ready? Jesus is Lord. Amen. That's what we believe. And that becomes a part of who we are. It's not, it's not just a, a thought we have. It's the core of our identity. Jesus is our Lord. And I, the, the response thing that I do, and I'm going to do it some over the course of my time here, over the months and the years, decades, uh, frequently, I'm going to go through this, Jesus is, and then there's two more parts. Lord is just the first part. Um, Lord is the one that kind of pulls it all together. I believe it is the core confession, like we just saw in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. The, the simple way to say what we say that everything else falls into. But in that Romans 10, chapter 9, it said, if you... Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead. Therein lies our salvation. That is the, you know, how the confession works. Speaking what we believe, what's in our heart. Like baptism shows what we believe and what's in our heart. It's all expressive of our belief, of our faith which is the cornerstone of our salvation. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I have verses 4 and 5 up here. Let's actually read, starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is an important, passage. This is an important chapter of Scripture. If you don't have kind of 1 Corinthians 15 just kind of logged somewhere in your mind, log it. Because when people ask, now, what's the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news. Okay, what's the good news? We get our answer right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel, the good news that I preach to you. So Paul says, I want to remind you of what you already know. 
I spent my time with you preaching the gospel. Now I'm going to remind you what that gospel is. Because we need to be reminded. We need it to be reinforced. That you received and on which you stand. And by which you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as the first important. So the most important pieces of the gospel. And the foundational parts of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. Here's the thing. Those two things, not such good news by themselves. People die every day. We generally don't consider it good news. People are buried every day. We don't consider that generally good news. In the Roman Empire, people were crucified just about every day. Rome liked to do it a lot. Anybody that would cause problems for the Roman Empire, well, a way to shut them up, and not just shut them up, but hang them up as an example. If you don't be like them, they crucified them. Story of Spartacus. Um, You know, I think of Spartacus. I think of Kirk Douglas. I can't help it. But, uh, you know, the the end of the story of Spartacus is not a good ending. Is Rome took those slaves, the thousands of slaves that rebelled, and they hung them all, all up on crosses. They crucified them all and lined the highway with them, the highway leading into Rome, the Appian Way, so that anybody coming and going out of Rome would go, oh, I'm not going to do that. And that was Rome's intent. And so when Rome hung Jesus up on that cross and the two other criminals or rebels, as some translations might say, it was so that, hey, I'm not going to do that. And so for Jesus to die on the cross and then to get buried, that's just by itself not good news. But here's the thing and what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And because he's raised, now the cross is good news as well. Like the, the resurrection makes everything that happened before the good news. It gives meaning to the cross. It means the cross wasn't defeat. It means the cross is victory. It means the cross is salvation. It means the cross is forgiveness. Jesus taking our place, but not just taking our place to die, but then paving the way for resurrection. The good news is hinged on that empty tomb. It's hinged on the resurrection. And so, our first line was Jesus is Lord. To follow that up, we're going to say he's risen. So again, I'm going to say Jesus is, you respond, risen. Jesus is, risen. amen. And, and, and this gets into not just what Jesus did, it's who he is. Because who he is determines who we are. Jesus is Lord. We didn't say he was Lord. We say he is Lord. And while he was crucified and he was buried, he is risen. He remains risen. He didn't die again and go back into the grave and get buried again. He lives eternally as the one that then empowers our eternal life. And shows us and calls us to join him in eternity.
He is Lord. He is risen. And because of that, I now can maybe understand who I am. That I'm not just flesh and, blown, flesh and bone living out this life, doing what I can in this temporary life. No, because Jesus is Lord and Jesus is risen, I now have a much bigger picture of who I am, of who God is calling me to be. To live in the light of Jesus' Lordship, to surrender myself to Him, and to live in the expectation of resurrection. And that gets me to my third point. So that... that If I could sum up what it means to be a Christian, these are the three things I say and why I want to frequently. It might not be every Sunday. Still trying to work out how often maybe we'll do this. But, and again, I don't just want to stand up here and preach to you. Sometimes I think we need to engage. I mean, that's why the Lord's Supper is a wonderful way where we engage. You know what the Lord's Supper is? According to 1 Corinthians. When we eat and when we drink, we proclaim the Lord's death. You know what the next words are? Until he comes. So whenever we take this, we're not just taking it, we're saying something. We're saying, hey, listen up, I believe something. I believe something that this world might think is crazy, but we do believe a man rose from the grave. And not just a man, but the Son of God himself. The Lord rose from the grave. And we engage in that Lord's Supper. I'm saying, hey, let's keep doing it. Because I want it on all of our lips. I definitely, you know, our church, I don't want to be the only one who says Jesus is Lord. Goodness, no. (laughs) I don't want to be the only one who claims, you know, his resurrection. And I don't just want it to be done here in this building. I hope we go out and we share it all the time. And then the next one, As the Lord's Supper, until he comes, that's our third one. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. I love this passage. It's funny. Um, I think it was a funny scene. Because Jesus has gone up into heaven. He's ascended. Gone to be with the Father, where we believe he is now. He reigns at the Father's right hand. He's preparing a place for us, according to John chapter 14. And he went up and he ascended through the clouds. And then the apostles who watched him go are just staring up at the sky. I kind of picture mouths open wide. Flabbergasted. Amazed. Just, what, okay, what now maybe would be my question. Jesus had told them he's going to do this, but just like when he told them he was going to die on the cross, they had a hard time comprehending it. He told them he's going to rise from the grave. They had a hard time comprehending it. Where here he had said, I'm going to the Father. Again, hard time comprehending it. When they see it actually happen, uh, and I see them standing there, mouths hanging open, and suddenly there's two men dressed in white. He would say, angels. And they ask, you know, as they're staring up, Tongues hanging out of the mouth, drool maybe, I don't know. But they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? What are you looking at? This same Jesus 
who has been taken up from you into heaven, and listen to these three words, will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And what's implied in that he's coming back is, hey, didn't he give you guys a job? Shouldn't he get to work? Jesus had just said, go into all the world, making teaching, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus had given them a job, and here Jesus has gone up, and they're just standing there, and these two men in white show up, these two angels, and say, hey, get to work. <laughs> He's coming back. Now it's your job to do what he's asked you to do. And that's, this is where we live. We live in the in-between. Jesus is Lord and he is risen. He's also not here right now. As far as his physical presence. We believe his spiritual presence absolutely is. It's here right now. Or two or more gathered in my name. There I am also. That Jesus is here. But that his physical presence. His total presence, his total authority, his total lordship is coming back. And right now, what are we doing? We're waiting, but while we wait, we're working, doing what he asks us to do, so that when he comes back, he will find us faithful. That's what it means to be a Christian, to live in anticipation that Jesus is coming back. So I'm going to say, Jesus is, and you're going to say, coming, okay? Jesus is coming. Amen. That's what we believe in. Sometimes we forget this. We get very caught up maybe in what happened in the Bible. And it's been 2,000 years. And so it's kind of easy to get sucked back into routines. I mean, even the apostles, after all this, they went fishing. They went back to their normal routines, their normal life. Until Jesus... Well, not... After he ascended, before he ascended, but after he rose in the grave and he showed up and he tells Peter, feed my sheep, get to work. And that famous passage in John 21. But we live in expectation of Jesus coming. It's not just about what happened, it's about what's going to happen. Otherwise, as Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 15, if there's no resurrection, if Jesus isn't coming back, Everybody go home. Do something else with your Sunday morning. There's a lot of other things you can be doing right now. But we're here. And not just here today, but here all the time, faithfully serving Christ because we believe he's coming back. And so I think we as a church should sometimes at least practice a collective confession. We do it when we take the Lord's Supper. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The supper is saying, hey, I'm eating this, waiting on the meal when I'm sitting here with Jesus himself. It's coming. Um, don't know how many of you are. We're in Texas. Pretty safe to assume a lot of us are country music fans. I am. There's the song Delta Dawn. Old classic. And it's about a lady who wears a bride's dress every single day because once his name's coming. And the whole town knows she's crazy. Because she's waiting on a guy who's never coming. We're the bride of Christ. 
And what he asks us to do is to be ready, to be dressed, to be purified, to make whole, to wear our wedding apparel in anticipation of our groom coming to get us. And see, in that song, Delta Dawn, everybody knows she's crazy. This guy's never going to show up. He made her promise he's not going to come. The rest of the world might say, yeah, you're crazy. This guy made your promise he's not going to come. But we, together, in solidarity, collectively say, oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. And it might sound crazy, because in the According to the ways of this world, it is crazy. Call me crazy. I believe he's coming back. And we believe in how that coming back. There's a lot of discussion. Like the idea of, you know, the seven years of tribulation and then the, the rapture and then, you know, on earth and heaven. And really, all those things... are not the primary focus, I'll say. Even heaven itself. What the Bible says about heaven isn't much. I definitely want to be there, but you know why? Because I'll be there with Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. And whatever else heaven is, I'm not certain. I'm waiting to see. But the one concrete thing we know that Bible does emphasize again and again and again not necessarily what we're going to be doing in heaven, but what it emphasizes, Jesus is coming back to get us. He's coming back. That we can take to the bank. And that we should believe in our hearts and profess with our mouths. In the presence of each other, in the presence of God, and hopefully everybody in the world knows it too. Because we confess often. So that's why I have this little call it an exercise, call it whatever. I think we need to practice together. And not just practice together, but to reinforce to each other who we are based on who Jesus is. And who Jesus is makes us who we are. And I grew up in Churches of Christ. We didn't do a lot of responsive things like this. Generally not the... Traditions that, uh, you know, we, not one of the many traditions that we do hold on to, and I enjoy many of the traditions we do. But many years ago, I thought, why don't we? Unfortunately, we make the sermon time especially a little bit of a, a uh, just to watch. We make it, a, sometimes we make church a spectator sport. I don't think it's meant to be that. It's meant to be engaging. And so, as I close out this morning, I want us to one more time, because, and we're going to do this in the future. Be prepared. Might consider it just one of the crazy things Colby does. Fine, whatever. But I want us to do it together. Because preaching isn't just about what I believe. Preaching is about, this church is about what we believe. And that, as Craig said, is what brings us together. What makes us one body, one people? Because we share these common beliefs of who Jesus is. So, we're gonna, I'm going to do Jesus' three times, and each time, first, Lord, risen, coming. You ready? Jesus is. Lord. Jesus is. Risen. And Jesus is. Coming. Amen. Amen. Amen means 
I agree. <laughs> Let it be. That's the truth that I hold to as well. That's who we are. And it is in the core of the essence of baptism. When we're baptized, we surrender to Jesus' lordship. We make him the king of our life. We say, I'm not in charge, Jesus, you are. And then you know what we do? After we die to ourselves, we rise. Just like Jesus rose from the grave. That's what baptism reenacts. How we rise from our own death. How we rise from our own sin. To walk in newness of life. And then what do we do? We get to work. We get to work loving God and loving each other. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. That's our job. All the while proclaiming, He's coming. And I'm going to be ready when He does. That's who we are. And that's what all the hear, the believe, the repent, the confess, be baptized, all of it hinges on that. Let's close with a prayer and then we'll stand and sing in just a moment. Dear Father, thank you so much for being who you are. And Father, thank you so much for letting us see and know and hear and believe in Jesus and knowing who he is. And Father, that right now in this moment, in this place, we are your, the body of believers gathered here waiting for our groom to come back, knowing he's on his way. Not knowing what day, but whatever day it is, we'll be ready. Whether that day finds us alive and working, or whether that day finds us in the grave, doesn't matter. We'll be ready. Uh, Father, teach us who Jesus is, and imprint it on our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.